I'm always amazed when we get to Christmas Eve. It's a lot of build-up, and it seems that the build-up begins earlier and earlier and earlier. We were away in the middle of November, and uh, I happened to be in a mall where we were, and already they had full-on Christmas decorations and Santa Claus in the mall, and, and I thought, wow, this is seemingly to start earlier and earlier. But even as a church, we start preparing for the coming of Christ. We've been uh, remembering His coming through Advent, which is a reminder that Christ has come. That's what Advent means. And it's also a hope that we have that Christ will come again. And so and there's a way in which we have been preparing for uh, tomorrow uh, for a long period of time as well. And in less than 24 hours now, we will gather with family and friends, um, and we will remember the birth of Jesus, this baby boy that was born to Joseph and Mary. Most of us here know that Jesus was no ordinary boy. Uh, he was certainly human. He was a normal child, and just like you and I. But as we've already read from some of these portions of Scripture and heard in the songs that we sung, that Jesus was much more than that. But it would take some time for us to understand that. Uh, certainly it took some time for the people in the day of Jesus to understand that, because initially he was just a baby boy. They had a few prophecies. They had a few visitors that said some things about him that seemed almost unbelievable. But it would take some time for them to really come to understand who this child was and who he would become. And so over the course of his life, they watched him grow up. In fact, one of the writers says that he grew in wisdom and stature, um, that he grew in the knowledge of the Lord. Then he entered into public ministry and we listened to his words. We watched his actions. We witnessed his, his death. We um, heard about his resurrection, and we had a lot more to talk about Jesus then. If you've been here for the last number of weeks, we've been considering different ways to think about Jesus, to expand our horizons about him. We've thought about him as the bruiser of Satan's head. We've understand him to be our prophet and our priest and our king. Last week, we considered that he was our suffering servant. And it's all intended to give us a fuller picture and understanding of who this little baby actually was. And I hope you're beginning to realize afresh or maybe in a new way that Jesus is so much bigger than you might have initially thought he was. There is so much more to Jesus than first meets the eye or that we are confronted with in a little manger. And my hope is today that Jesus will become even bigger to you. My hope is that he will become even greater to you. And not this time by looking at any prophecy, not this time by uh, uh, looking uh, uh, through the description of another, but this time by actually looking at Jesus through his own eyes. Sometimes the best way to understand somebody is to hear their own self-description of themselves, their own self-understanding. And when you actually understand somebody through their own eyes, you get a truer picture of who they are. I wonder, have you ever been misunderstood have you ever been uh, spoken of in a way that was not true or was not right about you? And you've wanted to sort of shout at the top of your lungs, that's not me. That's not who I am. I would not act like that. They don't know me from a hole in the ground, and yet they keep pretending that they, knew by, by, they do by all these pronouncements that they make. Maybe you've tried to create your own self-identity. Uh, we do that, you know, we do that in the way that we dress, we do that in sometimes the way that we change our name, we do it in a, uh, the form of a title that we might ascribe to ourselves through education, um, we, uh, we do it in so many different ways, and we try and shape the way other people think about us, how they understand us. After Jesus was grown and had started his 
public ministry, he adopted a name for himself. And it was a name that only he ever used of himself. It was a name that he preferred when he talked about himself. It was a name that nobody else used of him, but it was a name that Jesus used to self-identify or to help us understand a little bit about him. In fact, he referred to himself by this name over 80 times in the Gospels alone. And one day he asked his disciples this question. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That is, who do people say that I am? Son of Man. That's the name that Jesus used to describe himself. That's the name that only Jesus used to identify himself so that we would come to a proper understanding of how he viewed himself. Why this name? And what would have come to people's minds when he used that particular name of himself, the Son of Man? Certainly, some in the Old Testament would have a fit picture that would form in their heads. But what comes to your mind when you hear that name, Son of Man? And if Jesus was to say to you, who do you say that the Son of Man is? What would your answer be to that question? Well, there's at least a, a couple of ways that we can look at it. First of all, it wouldn't surprise me if many of you here this morning, at least those of you who had grown up in the church, think of this name, Son of Man, in contrast to the name Son of God. In other words, we use the name as a, 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 to help us distinguish between the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. It's certainly a starting place in the Old Testament, and those that were familiar with the Old Testament might have gone back to Numbers 23, 19, where it says there that God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and he will do it. Here in that text, it's used to distinguish God from humanity. God is not like us. He is distinct from us. He is separate from us. And so the name does carry this notion with it that Jesus is identifying here with you and I. He's identifying as one who has flesh and blood. He is identifying as a human. He needed food. He needed sleep. He walked and he talked. He lived on this earth. But there's a lot more behind this. When Jesus speaks about himself as the Son of Man, he's not simply or only referring to his human nature, but he's embracing a royal mandate, so to speak. He's embracing for himself the calling that God originally had intended for every single one of us here today to embrace. He is creating what he, or he is identifying with this mandate that God originally had given Adam that was to be your mandate and my mandate. Adam had been created to be the son of man, to execute dominion over all of this earth, to rule this earth in God's place, to be responsible for having dominion over the garden and over the animals. But he failed in that. And Jesus now is taking up that role that had been originally intended for Adam and for you and I if Adam had not sinned, and he's taken it upon himself. He is the representative man now. Fulfilling the mandate that God had originally given to Adam in the garden. He's embracing this calling that Adam had been given but failed to fulfill. And we find that in Psalm 8 where the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. 
When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Jesus is expressing in there a dependence upon God which you and I ought to express and share. And notice the mandate that he accepts, crowned with honor. That's what man was originally done, crowned with honor and given dominion over all of God's creation. That was the first charge that was given to Adam. He was to expand the garden so that eventually the garden would spread and overtake the whole world. The whole world was to be like the Garden of Eden as Adam exercised this dominion over it. But he failed. And Jesus, in taking this name to himself, this name that only he used of himself, this name, Son of Man, he's acknowledging to himself or for himself the role of second Adam. He is taking on the responsibility that the first Adam failed to succeed in. And Jesus will turn waste places into a garden. He will redeem the cosmos for God. He is declaring his role as the representative redeemer of not only mankind, but all of the world. It's an amazing declaration of his part. When the Son of Man, the second Adam, comes to his throne, the throne of the Ancient of Days in Daniel, he will say, here it is, Father. I'm finished. No weeds left. Flowers all over the world. I have saved and restored all this for you and for your glory. I offer you it now on behalf of all those whom I have shed my precious blood and who are now your adopted children. Father, you gave it all to me, and now I give it all back to you for your glory and for your honor. That's part of what Jesus had in mind as he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And it's captured in the hymn that we sing at Christmas, Joy to the World, where it says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is bound. In other words, Jesus has come to reverse the effects and display God's dominion over all the earth. So again, when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, he is not only emphasizing his humanity, but he's embracing and accepting God's role or um, call that he had originally given to the first Adam. And he is stepping in now where the first Adam failed. And he is saying, God, I will exercise dominion over your whole earth. But there's a third and perhaps more significant connection that Jesus is making when he calls himself the Son of Man. He is purposely drawing on a picture that's found in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, in which you might remember Daniel has this incredible vision in the midst of these four ferocious beasts that represent kingdoms of this world that come to conquer and destroy this world. And in this vision, he sees the Son of Man ascending up to the throne of the Ancient of Days as a triumphant victor. And at the throne of the Ancient of Days, he's given the privilege of sharing his triumph with those who are called the saints of the most high this is how Daniel describes it he says I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, that's me. That's who I am. I am the son of man who is displayed in this vision that Daniel has had. I am that glorious, triumphant king who will be exalted to the right hand of the ancient of days. It's my kingdom that will cover the whole earth. It's an incredible claim that Jesus is making as he calls himself again and again the son of man. And in fact, when he says the time has come for the son of man to be glorified, he's referring again to this vision back in the book of Daniel, to the way in which he's going to be exalted to the right hand of the Ancient of Days, to the right hand of the Father. He's saying that through his death, by his ascension and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father, that he is now there at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. It's like we looked at last week in The Suffering Servant, where it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high, a reference to his resurrection. He shall be lifted up, a reference to his ascension. And he shall be exalted, a reference to his now uh, uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Son of Man in Daniel 7 is a heavenly figure whose birth is both human and more than human. And the title there refers to his origin and his majesty and the dignity of the ruler who will rule over all things forever and ever and ever. This too is captured in the song, Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. That's a picture that Jesus is wanting us to begin to form in our minds. That's one that is found throughout the Old Testament. It helps us understand that this baby is so much more than a human child born to Joseph and Mary. As Jesus identifies himself then as the Son of Man, he claims kingship and glory and sovereignty in such a way that wouldn't offend if he had have said he was actually the Messiah. He did it because it was an ordinary phrase and many people would have just missed it and said, oh, he's just the Son of Man. But those who had eyes to see, those who had their hearts opened, those who had searched the Scriptures would have known, oh, there's more to this guy than meets the eye. He's not just a human. The baby is, or the Bible is talking more about, uh, more than he's just a, a man. He's also the son of man. He's also the son of man at the right hand of the ancient of days. And they would have rejoiced. Is this is how you see, is this how you see this baby? Is this how you're coming to understand him? Is this what you think when you hear that phrase, son of man? Let me just flip it then and give us a quick way then to look at it from another perspective. Remember, this is how Jesus referred to himself. It's the only way that, or it's, Jesus is the only one that used that phrase of himself. Maybe he did it in a certain way. Turns out he did. If you read all of the references in the Gospels to Jesus using this phrase, you will find almost all of them, in fact, I think all of them, that fall into one of three categories. And by using it, Jesus was helping us understand something of his purpose and his mission here on earth. The first is simply as the earthly son of man, and, and he's describing his work here on earth, how he's establishing the kingdom of God in the here and now. He proclaims its arrival. That's the first thing he did. He came preaching the good news of the coming 
of the kingdom of God. He demonstrates its power through miracles and through the resurrection of the dead and through bringing sight to, to blind eyes and by calming the waves of a sea. Uh, he, he does it through alleviating suffering. In Matthew 5 and uh, 7, he teaches the ethic of this kingdom. He wants us to understand that this is a human kingdom. This is a kingdom come to this earth. And there's a way in which we live according to this kingdom. He says, the Son of Man, or the Bible says, and he uses this phrase, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He came eating and drinking. He has nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus understand, understood his role as this Son of God, this Son of Man, as ushering in the kingdom of God to this world in which you and I now live. Have you embraced this kingdom? Do you see this kingdom of God already now here at work in people around you, in this world in which we live? Are you shaping your life by the ethic that Jesus talked and lived and showed us as being part of this kingdom of God. So the Son of Man came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And then there's a whole group of sayings that focus on the suffering of the Son of Man and how He will secure His kingdom through His suffering and His death, how we will purchase and secure the kingdom through that suffering. The Son of Man is going to suffer and be betrayed to sinners. He will be delivered into human hands. He will be delivered to chief priests. He will be condemned to death, but He will rise again. Jesus talks about the Son of Man in that way again and again. In Mark 9.31, He's teaching His disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill Him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will, he will rise. We thought about this in detail last week, if you were here. As we went through Isaiah 53, and we understand that everything hangs in the balance here. Everything. If Jesus fails in his suffering, if he fails in giving up his life for us, if he fails in his death, then everything collapses in on itself. But we know that he didn't fail. For God raised him from the dead and brought him up into heaven and he's now seated beside the heavenly father. So Jesus uses the phrase, the, the name to talk about his role here on earth to establish the kingdom. He uses that name, son of man, to describe in various ways his suffering and his death. But he also uses that name to give us a glimpse of his incredible triumph, his his glorious reality, the return when he comes back to earth, the one who will come to judge and repay the world's unrighteousness and will finally and fully establish the kingdom. It says, The Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds with heaven. The Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne. He is coming at an hour you do not expect. As lightning flashes across the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. As in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. Heavenly bodies will be shaken. In that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and the heavens. This baby. It's not just a baby that was born and lived and then died and is no more. 
this baby that came in incredible humility and humble circumstances is going to come again with incredible glory and might and power. And Jesus says, I am that king. I am that one who will be returning. Jesus knew what the Father had promised and he knew that he would come again. Loved ones, this is just a little bit of what is tied up in this name, Son of Man. Jesus, our brother. Jesus, our redeemer. Jesus, our king. What I would say is give the baby a chance. If you've not thought about him as more than just a baby, give him a chance this morning. Think about what the Bible says about him. Think about about what the songs that we sing at Christmas say about him. Think about what he says about himself. Give him a chance. And you will come to believe, I understand, or at least know that he is so much more than a human baby. And so we come back then to this question that he asked his disciples. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? You might have remembered their answer. Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that the Son of Man is? As my boys would say when Something obvious happens. They go, bam! There it is. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? That, there is no more important question that you can ask yourself than that question today. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? We know how Peter responded, don't we? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made the connection. He connected the dots. Not only are you the Son of Man, but you're the Son of God. You're the same guy in the same body. How do you respond to that question today? Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance, literally, in how you answer that question today. Loved ones, that's the wonder of the incarnation. By incarnation, if you don't understand that word, incarnation simply means... God coming and taking on human flesh. God enfleshing himself. And so the wonder of the incarnation is contained in this name, the Son of Man. For in taking this name for himself, Jesus wants us to grasp grasp something that in coming to this earth, he takes on humanity without abandoning his deity. And the wonder of his exaltation of going back into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father is that he displays his deity without abandoning his humanity. He maintains them both. So who do you say the Son of Man is? Well, he is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God.